0: Section 3 of The Golden Spears and Other Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ron Broach. The Golden Spears and Other Fairy Tales by Edmund Leamy. The Enchanted Cave a long long time ago prince Cuglas, master of the hounds to high king of erin set out from terra to the chase as he was leaving the palace the light mists were drifting away from the hilltops and the rays of the morning sun were falling aslant on the grinan or the sunny bower of princess aelin glancing toward it the prince doffed his plumed and jeweled hunting cap and the princess answered his salute by a wave of her little hand that was as white as a wild rose in the hedges in june and leaning from her bower she watched the huntsman until his tossing plumes were hidden by the green waving branches of the woods the princess aylen was over head and ears in love with Cuglas, and Cuglas was over head and ears in love with the princess aylen and he believed that never was summer morning half as bright or as sweet or as fair as she the glimpse which he had just caught of her filled his heart with delight and almost put all thought of hunting out of his head when suddenly the tuneful cries of the hounds answered by a hundred echoes from the groves broke upon his ear the dogs had started a dappled deer that bounded away through the forest the prince spurring his gallant steed pushed on in eager pursuit on through the forest sped the deer through soft green secret ways and flowery dells, then out from the forest up the heathery hills and over long stretches of moorland and across brown rushing streams sometimes in view of the hounds sometimes lost to sight but always ahead of them all day the chase continued and at last when the sun was sinking the dogs were close upon the panting deer and the prince believed he was about to secure his game when the deer suddenly disappeared through the mouth of a cave which opened before him the dogs followed at his heels and the prince endeavored to rein in his steed but the impetuous animal bore him on and soon was clattering over the stony floor of the cave in perfect darkness cuglas could hear ahead of him the cries of the hounds growing fainter and fainter as they increased the distance between them and him then the cries ceased altogether and the only sound the prince heard was the noise of his horse's hoofs sounding in the hollow cave. Once more he endeavored to check his career, but the reins broke in his hands, and in that instant the prince felt the horse had taken a plunge into a gulf, and was sinking down and down as a stone cast from the summit of a cliff sinks down into the sea. At last the horse struck the ground again, and the prince was almost thrown out of his saddle, But he succeeded in regaining his seat. Then on through the darkness galloped the steed, and when he came into the light, the prince's eyes were for some time unable to bear it. But when he got used to the brightness, he saw he was galloping over a grassy plain, and in the distance he perceived the hounds rushing toward a wood faintly visible through the luminous summer haze. The prince galloped on, and as he approached the wood, he saw coming towards him a comely champion wearing a shiny brown cloak, fastened by a bright bronze spear-like brooch, and bearing a white hazel wand in one hand, and a single-edged sword with a hilt made from the tooth of a seahorse in the other. The prince knew by the dress of the champion, and by his wand and sword, that he was a royal herald. As the herald came close to him, the prince's steed stopped of its own accord. "'You are welcome, Cuglas," said the herald." And I have been sent by the Princess Creed to greet you and lead you to her court, where you have been so long expected. I know not how this may be said, Cuglas. How it has come about, I shall tell you as we go along," said the Herald. The Princess Creed is the Queen of the Floating Island, and it chanced once upon a day when she was visiting her fairy kinsman, who dwell in one of the pleasant hills that lie near Terra. She saw you with the High King and the princes and nobles of Erin following the chase. And seeing you her heart went out to you, and wishing to bring you to her court, she sent one of her nymphs, in the form of a deer, to lure you on through the cave which is the entrance to this land. I am deeply honored by the preference shown me by the princess, said Guglas, but I may not tarry in her court, for above in Erin there is the lady Ailin, the loveliest of all ladies who graced the royal palace, and before the princes and chiefs of Erin she is promised to be my bride of that i know not said the herald but a true champion like you cannot i know refuse to come with me to the court of the princess creed as the herald had said these words the prince and he were on the verge of the wood and they entered upon a mossy pathway that broadened out as they advanced until it was as wide as one of the great roads of erin Before they had gone very far, the prince heard the tinkling of silver bells in the distance, and almost as soon as he heard them, he saw coming up towards him a troop of warriors on coal-black steeds. All the warriors wore helmets of shining silver, and cloaks of blue silk, and on the horse's breast were crescents of silver, on which were hung tiny silver bells shaking out music with the motion of the horses. As the prince approached the champions, they lowered their spears, and dividing in two lines the prince and the herald passed between the ranks and the champions forming again followed on behind the prince at last they passed through the wood and they found themselves on a green plain speckled with flowers and they had not gone far when the prince saw coming toward him a hundred champions on snow-white steeds and around the breast of the steeds were crescents of gold from which were hanging little golden bells the warriors all wore golden helmets and the shafts of their shining spears were of gold and golden sandals on their feet and yellow silken mantles fell down over their shoulders and when the prince came near them they lowered their lances and then they turned their horses heads around and marched before him it was not long until above the pleasant jingle of the bells the prince heard the measured strains of music and he saw coming towards him a band of harpers dressed in green and gold And when the harpers had saluted the prince, they marched in front of the cavalcade, playing all the time, and it was not long until they came to a stream that ran like a blue ribbon around the foot of a green hill, on the top of which was a sparkling palace. The stream was crossed by a golden bridge, so narrow that the horsemen had to go two by two. The herald asked the prince to halt and to allow all the champions to go before him, and the cavalcade ascended the hill the sunlight brightly glancing on Helmand and on Lance, and when it reached the palace the horsemen filed around the walls. When at length the prince and herald crossed the bridge and began to climb the hill, the prince thought he felt the ground moving under them, and on looking back he could see no sign of the golden bridge, and the blue stream had already become as wide as a great river, and was becoming wider every second. "'You are on the floating island now,' said the herald and before you is the palace of the princess creed at that moment the queen came out through the palace door and the prince was so dazzled by her beauty that for only the golden bracelet he wore upon his right arm under the sleeve of his silk tunic he might almost have forgotten the princess Aelin. this bracelet was made by the dwarves who dwell in the heart of the scandinavian mountains and was sent with other costly presents by the king of scandinavia to the king of erin and he gave it to the princess and it was on the virtue of this bracelet that whoever was wearing it could not forget the person who gave it to them and it could never be loosened from the arm by any art or magic spell but if the wearer for even a single moment liked any one better than the person who gave it to him that very moment, the bracelet fell off from the arm and could never again be fastened on. When the princess promised her hand in marriage to Prince Cuglas, she closed the bracelet on his arm. The fairy queen knew nothing about the bracelet, and she hoped that before the prince was long in the floating island, he would forget all about the princess. You are a welcome, Cuglas, said the queen as she held out her hand, and Cuglas, having thanked her for her welcome, entered the palace together you must be very weary after your long journey said the queen my page will lead you to your apartments where a bath of the cool blue waters of the lake has been made ready for you and when you have taken your bath the pages will lead you to the banquet hall where the feast is spread at the feast the prince was seated beside the queen and she talked to him of all the pleasures that were in store for him in fairyland where pain and sickness and sorrow and old age are unknown, and where every rosy hour that flies is brighter than the one that has fled before it. And when the feast was ended the queen opened the dance with the prince, and it was not until the moon was high above the floating island that the prince retired to rest. He was so tired after his journey and the dancing that he fell into a sound sleep. When he awoke the next morning the sun was shining brightly and he heard outside the palace the jingle of bells and the music of baying hounds, and his heart was stirred by memories of the many pleasant days on which he had led the chase over the plains and through the green woods of Terra. He looked out through the window, and he saw all the fairy champions mounted on their steeds, ready for the chase, and at their head the fairy queen. And at that moment the pages came to say the queen wished to know if he would join them, and the prince went out and found his steed ready saddled and bridled and they spent the day hunting in the forest that stretched away for miles behind the palace and the night in feasting and dancing when the prince awoke the following morning he was summoned by the pages to the presence of the queen the prince found the queen on the lawn outside the palace surrounded by her court we shall go to the lake to-day cuckless said the queen and taking his arm she led him along the water's edge all the courtiers following and when she was close to the water she waved her wand and in a second a thousand boats shining like a glass shot up from beneath the lake and set their bows against the bank the queen and Cuglas stepped into one and when they were seated two fairy harpers took their places in the prow all the other boats were soon thronged by fairies and when the queen waved her wand again an awning of purple silk rose over the boat and silken awnings of various colours over the others and the royal boat moved off from the bank followed by all the rest and in every boat sat a harper with a golden harp and when the queen waved her wand for the third time the harper struck the trembling chords and to the sound of the delightful music the boats glided over the sunlit lake on they went until they approached the mouth of a gentle river sliding down between the banks clad with trees up the river close to the bank and under the drooping trees they sailed and when they came to a bend in the river from which the lake could no longer be seen they pushed their prows in against the bank and the queen and cuglas and all the party left the boats and went on under the trees until they came to a mossy glade Then the queen waved her wand, and silken couches were spread under the trees, and she and Cuglas sat on one apart from the others, and the courtiers took their place in proper order. The queen waved her wand again, and the wind shook the trees above them, and the most luscious fruit that was ever tasted fell down into their hands. When the feast was over, there was dancing in the glades to the music of the harps, and when they were tired dancing, they set out for the boats, the moon was rising above the trees as they sailed away over the lake it was not long until they reached the bank below the fairy palace well between the hunting in the forest and the sailing over the lake and dancing in the greenwood glade and the banquet hall the days passed but all the time the prince was thinking of princess Aelin. and one moonlit night when he was lying awake on his couch thinking of her a shadow was suddenly cast on the floor. The prince looked toward the window, and what should he see sitting on the sill outside but a little woman tapping the pane with a golden bodkin. The prince jumped from his couch and opened the window, and the little woman floated on the moonbeams into the room and sat down on the floor. "'You are thinking of Princess Aylan,' said the little woman. "'I never think of anyone else,' said the prince." i know that said the little woman and it's because of your love for each other and because her mother was a friend to me in the days gone by that i have come here to try and help you but there is not much time for talking the night advances at the bank below a boat awaits you step into it and it will lead you to the mainland when you reach it YOU WILL FIND BEFORE YOU A PATH THAT WILL TAKE YOU TO THE GREEN FIELDS OF ERIN AND THE PLAINS OF TERRA. I KNOW YOU WILL HAVE TO FACE DANGER. I KNOW NOT WHAT KIND OF DANGER, BUT WHATEVER IT MAY BE, DO NOT DRAW YOUR SWORD BEFORE YOU TREAD UPON THE MAINLAND, FOR IF YOU DO, YOU SHALL NEVER REACH IT, AND THE BOAT WILL COME BACK AGAIN TO THE FLOATING ISLAND. NOW GO, AND MAY LUCK BE WITH YOU and saying this the little woman climbed up on the moonbeams and disappeared the prince left the palace and descended to the lake and there before him he saw a glistening boat he stepped into it and the boat went on and on beneath the moon and at last he saw the mainland and he could trace a winding path going away from the shore the sight filled his heart with joy but suddenly the milky white moonshine died away and looking up to the sky he saw the moon turn fiery red and the waters of the lake shining like silver a moment before took a blood-red hue and a wind arose that stirred the waters and they leaped up against the little boat tossing it from side to side while Cuglas was wondering at the change he heard a strange unearthly noise ahead of him and a bristling monster lifting its claws above the water in a moment was beside the boat and struck one of his claws in the left arm of the prince and pierced the flesh to the bone maddened by the pain the prince drew his sword and chopped off the monster's claw the monster disappeared beneath the lake and as it did so the color of the water changed and the silver moonlight shone down from the sky again but the boat no longer went on towards the mainland but sped back towards the floating island while forth from the island came a fleet of ferry-boats to meet it led by the shallop of the fairy queen the queen greeted the prince as if she knew not of his attempted flight and to the music of the harps the fleet returned to the palace the next day passed and the night came and again the prince was lying on the couch thinking of princess salen and again he saw the shadow on the floor and heard the tapping against the window when he opened it the little woman slid down into the room you failed last night she said but i come to give you another chance to-morrow the queen must set out on a visit to her fairy kinsmen who dwell in the green hill near the plain of terra SHE CANNOT TAKE YOU WITH HER, FOR IF YOUR FEET ONCE TOUCH THE GREEN GRASS THAT GROWS IN THE FRUITFUL FIELDS OF ERIN, SHE COULD NEVER BRING YOU BACK AGAIN. AND SO, WHEN YOU FIND SHE HAS LEFT THE PALACE, GO AT ONCE INTO THE BANQUET HALL AND LOOK BEHIND THE THRONE. YOU WILL SEE A SMALL DOOR LET DOWN INTO THE GROUND. PULL THIS UP, AND DESCEND THE STEPS WHICH YOU WILL SEE. WHERE THEY LEAD TO I CANNOT TELL what dangers may be before you i do not know but this i know if you accept anything no matter what it is from any one that you may meet on your way you shall not set foot on the soil of erin and having said this the little woman rising from the floor floated out through the window the prince returned to his couch and the next morning as soon as he heard the queen had left the palace he hastened to the banquet hall He discovered the door and descended the steps, and he found himself in a gloomy and lonesome valley. Jagged mountains, black as night, rose on either side, and huge rocks seemed ready to topple down upon him at every step. Through broken clouds a watery moon shed a faint, fitful light that came and went as the clouds, driven by a moaning wind, passed over the valley." Cuglas, nothing daunted, pushed on boldly until a bank of cloud shut out completely the struggling moon, and closing over the valley covered it like a pall, leaving him in perfect darkness. At the same moment the moaning wind died away, and with it died away all sound. The darkness and the death-like silence sent an icy chill to the heart of Cuglas. He held his hand close to his eyes, but he saw it not— he shouted that he might hear the sound of his own voice but he heard it not he stamped his foot on the rocky ground but no sound was returned to him he rattled his sword in its brazen scabbard but it gave no answer back to him his heart grew colder and colder when suddenly the cloud above him was rent in a dozen places and lightning flashed through the valley and the thunder rolled over the echoing mountains in the lurid glare of the lightning Cuglas saw a hundred ghostly forms sweeping toward him uttering as they came nearer and nearer shrieks so terrible that the silence of death could be more easily borne Cuglas turned to escape but they hemmed him round and pressed their clammy hands upon his face with a yell of horror he drew his sword and slashed about him and at that very moment the forms vanished the thunder ceased And the dark clouds passed, and the sun shone out as bright as on a summer day. Then Cuglas knew the forms he had seen were those of the wild people of the glen. With renewed courage he pursued his way through the valley, and after three or four windings, it took him out upon a sandy desert. He had no sooner set foot on the desert than he heard behind him a crashing sound louder than thunder. He looked around, and he saw that the walls of mountain through which he had just passed had fallen into the valley. "'and filled it up so that he could no longer tell where it had been. "'The sun was beating fiercely on the desert, "'and the sands were almost as hot as burning cinders, "'and as Cuglas advanced over them his body became dried up, "'and his tongue clove to the roof of his mouth, "'and when his thirst was at its height "'a fountain of sparkling water sprang up in the burning plain "'a few paces in front of him. "'When he came up quite close to it "'and stretched out his parched hands to cool them in the limpid waters,' the fountain vanished as suddenly as it appeared. With great pain, and almost choking with heat and thirst, he struggled on, and again the fountain sprang up in front of him, and moved before him, almost within his reach. At last he came to the end of the desert, and he saw a green hill upon which a pathway climbed, but as he came to the foot of the hill, there, sitting right in his way, was a beautiful fairy holding out towards him a crystal cup, over the rim of which flowed water as clear as crystal. Unable to resist the temptation, the prince seized the cold, bright goblet and drank the water. When he did so, his thirst vanished, but the fairy and the green hill and the burning desert disappeared, and he was standing in the forest behind the palace of the fairy queen. That evening the queen returned, and at the feast she talked as gaily to the prince as if she knew not of his attempt to leave the floating island. AND THE PRINCE SPOKE AS GAILY AS HE COULD TO HER, ALTHOUGH IN HIS HEART THERE WAS A SADNESS WHEN HE REMEMBERED THAT IF HE HAD ONLY DASHED AWAY THE CRYSTAL CUP, HE WOULD BE AT THAT MOMENT IN THE ROYAL BANQUET HALL OF TERRA, SITTING BESIDE THE PRINCESS Aelin, AND HE THOUGHT THE FEAST WOULD NEVER END, BUT IT WAS OVER AT LAST, AND THE PRINCE RETURNED TO HIS APARTMENTS, AND THAT NIGHT, AS HE LAY ON THE COUCH, HE KEPT HIS EYES FIXED ON THE WINDOW but hours passed, and there was no sign of anyone. At long last, when he had given up all hope of seeing her, he heard a tapping at the window. He got up and opened it, and the little woman came in. "'You failed again to-day,' she said. "'Failed just at the very moment when you were about to step onto the green hills of Erin. I can give you only one more chance. It will be your last. The Queen will go hunting in the morning.' JOIN THE HUNT, AND WHEN YOU ARE SEPARATED FROM THE REST OF THE PARTY IN THE WOOD, THROW YOUR reins UPON YOUR HORSE'S NECK, AND HE WILL LEAD YOU TO THE EDGE OF THE LAKE. THEN CAST THIS GOLDEN BODKIN INTO THE LAKE, IN THE DIRECTION OF THE MAINLAND, AND A GOLDEN BRIDGE WILL BE THROWN ACROSS, OVER WHICH YOU CAN PASS SAFELY TO THE FIELDS OF ERIN. BUT TAKE CARE YOU DO NOT DRAW YOUR SWORD, FOR IF YOU DO YOUR STEED WILL BEAR YOU BACK AGAIN TO THE FLOATING ISLAND and here you must remain forever.' Then handing the bodkin to the prince, and saying good-bye, the little woman disappeared. The next morning the queen and the prince and all the court went out to hunt, and a fleet white deer started before them, and the royal party pressed after him in pursuit. The prince's steed outstripped all the others, and when he was alone the prince flung the reins upon his horse's neck and before long he came to the edge of the lake. Then the prince cast the bodkin on to the water, and a golden bridge was thrown across to the mainland, and the horse galloped on to it. When the prince was more than half way, he saw riding towards him a champion, wearing a silver helmet, and carrying on his left arm a silver shield, and holding in his right hand a gleaming sword. As he came nearer, he struck his shield with his sword and challenged the prince to battle. The prince's sword almost leapt out of its scabbard at the martial sound, and like a true knight of terror, he dashed against his foe. And swinging his sword above his head, with one blow he clove the silver helmet, and the strange warrior reeled from his horse and fell upon the golden bridge. The prince, content with this achievement, spurred his horse to pass the fallen champion, but the horse refused to stir, and the bridge broke in two almost at his feet and the part of it between him and the mainland disappeared beneath the lake, carrying with it the horse and the body of the champion, and before the prince could recover from his surprise, his steed wheeled around and was galloping back. When he reached the land, he rushed through the forest, and the prince was not able to pull him up until he came to the palace door. All that night the prince lay awake on his couch with his eyes fixed upon the window, but no shadow fell upon the floor and there was no tapping at the pane and with a heavy heart he joined the hunting party in the morning and day followed day and his heart was sadder and sadder and found no pleasure in the joys and delights of fairyland and when all the palace were at rest he used to roam through the forest always thinking of the princess aileen and hoping against hope that the little woman would come again to him but at last he began to despair of ever seeing her it chanced one night he rambled so far that he found himself on the verge of the lake at the very spot from which the golden bridge had been thrown across the waters and as he gazed wistfully upon them a boat shot up and came swiftly to the bank who should he see sitting in the stern but the little woman ah Cuglas, Cuglas, she said i gave you three chances and you failed in all of them I should have borne the pain inflicted by the monster's claws," said Cuglas. I should have borne the thirst on the sandy desert, and dashed the crystal cup untasted from the fairy's hand. But I could never have faced the nobles and chiefs of Erin if I had refused to meet the challenge of the battle champion on the Golden Bridge. And you would have been no true knight of Erin, and you would have not have been worthy of the wee girl who loves you, the bonny princess Aelin, if you had refused to meet it said the little woman but for all that you can never return to the fair hills of erin but cheer up Cuglas. there are mossy ways and forest paths and nestling bowers in fairyland lonely they are i know in your eyes now said the little woman but maybe she added with a laugh as musical as the ripple on a streamlet when the summer is in the air maybe you won't always think them so lonely you think i'll forget ailin for the fairy queen said cuglas with a sigh i don't think anything of the kind she said then what do you mean said the prince oh i mean what i mean said the little woman but i can't stop here all night talking to you and indeed it is in your bed you ought to be yourself so now good-night and i have no more to say except that perhaps if you happen to be here this night week at this very hour when the moon will be on the waters you will see but no matter what you will see she said i must be off and before the prince could say another word the boat sped away from the bank and he was alone he went back to the palace and he fell asleep that night only to dream of the princess ailing as for the princess she was pining away in the palace of terra the colour had fled from her cheeks and her eyes which had been once so bright they would have lighted darkness like a star lost nearly all their lustre and the king's leeches could do nothing for her at last they gave up all hope and the king and queen of erin and all the ladies of the court watched her couch by night and by day sadly waiting for her last hour at length one day when the sun was shining brightly over terra's plain and its light softened by the intervening curtains was falling into the sick chamber the royal watchers noticed a sweet change come over the face of the princess the bloom of love and youth were flushing on her cheeks and from her eyes shone out the old soft tender light they began to hope that she was about to be restored to them when suddenly the room was in darkness as if the night had swept across the sky and blotted out the sun then they heard the sound of fairy music and over the couch where the princess lay they beheld a gleam of golden light but only for a moment and again there was perfect darkness and the fairy music ceased then as suddenly as it came the darkness vanished the softened sunlight once more filled the chamber and rested upon the couch but the couch was empty and the royal watchers looking at each other said in whispers THE FAIRIES HAVE CARRIED AWAY THE PRINCESS Aelin TO Fairyland. WELL, THAT VERY DAY THE PRINCE ROAMED BY HIMSELF THROUGH THE FOREST, COUNTING THE HOURS UNTIL THE DAY WOULD FADE IN THE SKY AND THE MOON COME CLIMBING UP, AND AT LAST, WHEN IT WAS SHINING FULL ABOVE THE WATERS, HE WENT DOWN TO THE VERGE OF THE LAKE, AND HE LOOKED OUT OVER THE GLEAMING SURFACE, WATCHING FOR THE VISION PROMISED BY THE LITTLE WOMAN. BUT HE COULD SEE NOTHING. AND WAS ABOUT TO TURN AWAY WHEN HE HEARD THE FAINT SOUND OF FAIRY MUSIC. HE LISTENED AND LISTENED, AND THE SOUND CAME NEARER AND CLEARER, AND AWAY IN THE DISTANCE, LIKE DROPS OF GLISTENING WATER BREAKING THE LEVEL OF THE LAKE, HE SAW A FLEET OF FAIRY BOATS, AND HE THOUGHT IT WAS THE FAIRY QUEEN SAILING INTO THE MOONLIGHT. AND IT WAS THE FAIRY QUEEN, AND SOON HE WAS ABLE TO RECOGNIZE THE ROYAL shallop LEADING THE OTHERS and as it came close to the bank he saw the little woman sitting in the prow between the little harpers and at the stern was the fairy queen and by her side the lady of his heart the princess Ailing. in a second the boat was against the bank and the princess in his arms and he kissed her again and again and have you never a kiss for me said the little woman tapping his hand with the little gold bodkin a kiss and a dozen, said Cuglas, as he caught the little fairy up in his arms. Oh, fie, Cuglas, said the queen. Oh, the princess isn't one bit jealous, said the little woman. Are you, Aileen? Indeed I am not, said Aileen. And you should not be, for never lady yet had truer knight than Cuglas. I loved him, and I love him dearly. I lured him here hoping that in the delights of fairyland he might forget you it was all in vain i know now that there is one thing no fairy power above or below the stars or beneath the waters can ever subdue and that is love and here together for ever shall you and Cuglas dwell where old age shall never come upon you and where pain or sorrow or sickness is unknown and Cuglas never returned to the fair hills of erin and ages passed away since the morning he followed the hounds into the fatal cave but his story was remembered by the firesides and sometimes even yet the herd-boy watching his cattle in the field hears the tuneful cry of hounds and follows it till it leads him into a darksome cave and as fearfully as he listens to the sound becoming fainter and fainter he hears the clatter of hoofs over the stony floor And to this day, the cave bears the name of the prince who entered it, never to return. End of section three. Recording by Ron Broach.